overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now here's your hosts, Jason Garrett and Raghav Sharma. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. Today we have another very special episode. If you guys have been listening for a while, then in season one, you know that both Jason and I recorded a podcast. It was just the two of us, no guests, and we kind of just talked. We talked about our histories, like how we got to the point where we are within terms of like medicine, um, our passions in preventive medicine, just different topics related to that, as well as a little bit about the podcast itself, where we see it going and the directions that we want to go. Today, we're going to do something very similar, except we have two new faces to this podcast. Um, if you guys have been paying attention to our Instagram content, then we've been pumping out our statistics and uh, study Sundays and also some more longer form written content. And Jason and I have uh, tried to expand the team. And for that, we have both Austin and John here with us today. And they'll tell you a little bit about themselves a little bit later, but they've been helping us out tremendously with these posts. And we actually have a new piece of written content going up very soon. That should already be on the website if you're listening to this now. So go check that out. But without further ado, we want to welcome Austin and John officially to the uh, audio part of this podcast. So welcome, guys. Yeah, thanks. Hey. Thanks, guys. Hey, Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to start off pretty simple. It's just like, uh, so we're going to start with Austin. I guess it's going to go seniority. So Austin is a resident physician. He already graduated medical school. So we'll start with him. Um, kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're passionate about preventive medicine. Yeah, sure. Like you mentioned, uh, I'm an intern this year, um, transitional year here in Indianapolis. Um, gearing towards uh, residency and, and physical medicine and rehabilitation. Um, and I think kind of similar to you guys, I've always been kind of an active person, uh, whether it's in athletics, but then kind of just generally active um, kind of going forward. So I think it was my original kind of desire to be active and participate in sports that kind of got me into this field, uh, you know, searching the science behind whether it was weightlifting or nutrition um, kind of got me an entry into that. Um, and then I think, um, kind of once I, I bridged the gap and, and began medical school, starting to think towards what a career and what I really enjoyed, um, I really found some of the most passionate or, or most exciting patient encounter, encounters I had uh, were those where I could sit down and talk to people about um, kind of their fitness goals, their nutrition, their diet, stuff like that. So I really uh, enjoyed that and really enjoyed kind of the idea of this kind of preventative and, and, uh, um, kind of overall lifestyle interventions to kind of prevent or mitigate to the best we can. Some of these diseases we're seeing on a daily basis. Um, so I think that's kind of my entry point. Um, and then just to speak a little bit more on, on my current kind of, uh, path, why I chose physical medicine and rehabilitation. Um, I thought it was a great avenue to kind of, uh, mix, uh, a couple of my shared interests. So one of those being, like I just said, um, the preventative nature, you know, health, fitness, uh, nutrition, but then also mixing it with uh, my other kind of interest was uh, in biomedical engineering. So I like kind of the, the techie side of things, uh, which pairs well with rehab. So that was kind of a, a little blurb about me and, and kind of how I got interested. 
There you go. We'll probably dive into that a little bit more, but now, uh, how about you, John? Oh uh, yeah. So, uh, my name is Jonathan Alessi. Um, I am an MD PhD student at IU school of medicine. Um, so that is a program where you get both in, uh, in a medical doctorate and a, uh, PhD, like a more, uh, science focused, uh, doctorate. It takes, uh, eight years. And so I'm in the third year of that program. Um, it, you do the first two years of med school and then, uh, four years of PhD and, uh, then the last two years of med school. So I just started the PhD, uh, haven't even decided on my project yet. Um, uh, and I research, uh, I'm part of the Indiana alcohol research center and, uh, I'm a neuroscientist. So we look at, uh, the way that the brain responds to, um, sweet taste, um, in, uh, different states of alcoholism, as well as, uh, we, we have a study with, uh, bariatric surgery as well. Um, but yeah, my, my journey with uh, preventive medicine is, uh, and I guess in contrast to Austin's, I, uh, have not always been active. I wasn't really, I, uh, was kind of a couch potato all through college. Uh, I played sports in high school, but, um, I was never really into sports. I was never like a huge athlete. My sister was always kind of the athlete of our family. Um, and I ended up quitting sports, uh, after sophomore year of high school and just kind of didn't do anything, was not worried about my health at all. Um, and it wasn't until I got into, uh, it was, uh, right after my first year of med school, um, I started getting into, uh, weightlifting through one of my friends, uh, who is big into powerlifting and he was in, uh, the university Dayton powerlifting club and, uh, he had actually introduced me to, uh, uh, the barbell medicine podcast, um, which really got the ball rolling for me. Um, I was really more attracted to them from the intellectual, like medical side. Uh, and then, uh, just listening to them talk about medicine and being interested in that. Uh, and then also them talking about lifting, um, that got me interested, like, Oh, maybe I should actually go lift might be good for me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, then I, I started getting really into it. I lost, uh, like 90 pounds, uh, almost hundred pounds over the course of like three years. Um, uh, 50 pounds, uh, was kind of like the more direct result of me, like getting into lifting and, um, getting more interested in, in health. Um, but it, in terms of like why I think, uh, preventive medicine is so important is I just, I think that it is the best way to, uh, have a good base to, to really, uh, get people to, um, to, to live rather than, uh, uh so much of medicine, uh, often turns into kind of just, uh, keeping people from dying. And, uh, I think preventive medicine is one of the best ways that we can, uh, uh, enable people to, uh, live their best life and, uh, do things that aren't just, uh, I want to, you know, not die in the next 10 years. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so for those of you guys who don't know, Austin and I actually, uh, he attended the same school that I'm at for medical school right now. Uh, but he's been working on our statistics posts. Austin, can you kind of tell people about 
that experience for you and kind of what direction you're taking the statistics post and kind of what you see that becoming in the future? Yeah, sure. So um, I think overall my goal with the statistics was try to find some um, key st- statistics that really stand out to people and kind of are relevant to their lives. So um, I try to kind of pair them with some of the, also the study Sundays that, that many of you guys have seen and make those relevant. Um, but I really wanted stuff that kind of, uh, gives people awareness of very common things that are kind of out there and how common they are, whether it, you know, be anxiety, depression, um, we've done a couple posts on there. Um, but I wanted it as an avenue to kind of, uh, start a further question or get people maybe interested in some of those study Sundays that we're also highlighting. Um, so that's been kind of the goal so far. Um, I think moving forward, uh, plan is to continue, uh, those statistics Sundays as, or statistic, uh, kind of Wednesdays as we, uh, kind of see fit, uh, but also have some plans to maybe start introducing some of the, uh, common fitness myths or kind of do some myth busting here in the future. Um, as I, I think we've all seen, or at least come across or, or at least believe some common myths, um, that are really prevalent out there. And I think um, that might be a good way to just give people kind of a, a starting point of like, you know what, what should I be listening to? And what are some things that maybe I should question a little bit more that are out there kind of in the lay media? Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, John, you've been working on kind of more of our long form, uh, writings. What have you been working on, uh, in the past year? Uh, yeah. So the first, uh, already published, um, article is the, can I be healthy without fat loss? Um, I thought that was pretty salient. Um, it, that article, uh, uh, takes a pretty sciencey, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, direction. Um, but, uh, I think it, it turned out, uh, pretty well. We, uh, I really wanted to, uh, address this idea of, so, uh, I, I wanted to talk about this idea that, uh, fat or, you know, excess weight, uh, automatically makes you unhealthy or, that, uh, you know, so many people I've recently seen, uh, Dr. Nadolsky actually has been posting a lot about this, um, with the Hayes movement. And, uh, there's, uh, you know, some, even doctors will, uh, get somebody into their office who is overweight and will attribute almost every problem that they have just to their weight. And so I wanted to address this idea that in order to be healthy, you have to be skinny. Um, and I wanted to do that in a way that, uh, takes into account both the fact that having excess weight does put you at increased risk for a lot of different diseases. Um, but that also it's not necessarily the only way to reduce your risk of those diseases, nor is it, you know, nor is losing weight, some panacea of health that carries no risk with it whatsoever. Um, and then the next article that should be coming out soon uh, that I just finished recently, um, is on vaccines, um, the COVID vaccine specifically. Uh, I've, uh, I, I would just wanted to, you know, educate people, make them feel more comfortable about the vaccines, make them feel, uh, uh, that they, you know, have knowledge that they're safe and effective and that they're, you know, these, uh, I wanted to kind of, uh, address, uh, some of the maybe conspiracy theories that are floating out there, um, about the vaccines and make sure that people, um, I think a lot of those theories come from a, uh, uh, 
kind of not knowing or not being uh, like a fear of the unknown kind of thing. So like you don't know what's in it. Um, and that leads you to fear it and um, come up with, you know, uh, potential like ghost stories that um, may go along with it. And so I, I, with that article, I wanted to uh, kind of assuage those fears for most people. Um, and hope, hopefully yeah, I, I mean, that. Hopefully I think that's a great, that's a great article idea. Honestly, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I honestly think the more I've looked back on, you know, the past few months is I really think as, as public health, um, I guess servants or people in this arena, we really dropped the ball in terms of our messaging with the, the vaccines and messaging with the future of this, you know, the ending of this pandemic. I think we've been so, um, conservative with the viewpoints of how great these vaccines are when really these vaccines are miracles of science and um, can really put an end to this to this uh, this pandemic relatively quickly based on all the data we have and the emerging data of how successful they've been and people who have gotten them. Um, but really in the past few months, all we've heard about from, you know, people in the positions of power, you know, Dr. Fauci and some of those other people kind of who are giving the message down of, you know, it's still, you know, get the vaccines, but it's still, there's this negative cloud of even after you get the vaccine, you know, you can't do this. You can't hang out with people. You got to wear two masks. These sort of things. When really the vaccines, once we get that seventy percent threshold, are the future of, of this pandemic coming to an end relatively quickly. And I think we've been so. When you combine that fear of the vaccines that John was talking about with a mixed message about how efficacious and how awesome these vaccines are from the public health experts, it creates this like, well. I don't know what's in it and it scares me and it looks like it's not changing anything anyway. So why would I get it? And you look at the percentage of people who are willing to get the vaccine right now, it's nowhere near where we need to be uh, for these vaccines to really have their full effect, which is, which is I think is, uh, is really where we dropped the ball um, in our messaging. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, I've seen the article, John, John sent it to me already. And let me tell you guys, one of the things like Jason's talking about, like people say, um, get the vaccine, but they don't really like, pose a compelling reason to They say it's really good. It's an effective vaccine. Just get it. It's safe. Do it. But the thing that I really appreciate about like written content, specifically like specifically John's writing style is that it's like a narrative writing style where he kind of puts the reader in the person's shoes. And then it kind of takes you through like an approach to going to the vaccination site and then getting into the science of it. And I honestly think this is one of the reasons that we brought John on that it is fantastic. If you have, if someone has the time to read it, I'm not saying everyone <laughs> reads these days, but for those that do, it's like a really compelling way just to get through it. And then you actually understand more about the vaccine. You see it through a humanistic perspective instead of someone just telling you, Hey, go get this vaccine right now. Yeah. Uh, and Jason, I completely agree with you. I think, uh, it, you know, I very much understand, especially as you know, somebody who wants to be a scientist or yeah, I guess I am a scientist. I'm not really sure. I'm a scientist in training, I guess. Um, I understand this need to be, you know, highly risk averse and only say exactly what the science says. Um, but especially, uh, like right now there, there's messaging around, uh, the vaccines and, you know, you still have to wear masks and you, you might transmit it still. And, uh, you know, that's true. We, we don't know whether somebody who has had the vaccine can transmit it. We can't say for sure that you will not transmit it if you've already had the vaccine and we have to, you know, I mean, for me, wearing masks is so easy. I, feel like everyone should, I mean, do that, but definitely, uh, I think that there needs to be, I, I would, I would argue for, uh, some, uh, better messaging around that. And hopefully there's data that, uh, scientists can actually point to soon saying, you know, uh, 
you might still be able to transmit it, but your chances of transmitting it are significantly lower. And that's what I would hope the dad would say. That's really, and I mean, my non-expert opinion, uh, that's what I would guess is actually true. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I, I think that, uh, we need to really try to push encouraging, uh, getting the vaccine through kind of benefits, like real world benefits that people will, uh, enjoy after having had it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it for people is, you know, perceived benefit versus perceived risk. And if they don't see their, their whole life changing at all, once they get this vaccine that they perceive as being, well, and, you know, we all know the data on these vaccines in terms of their safety, at least in the short term is, you know, very, they're very efficacious and very safe. Um, and, but you know, the general public, they don't read things the same way we do or look at the same maybe sources that we do. Um, and, you know, for a lot of the general public right now, it seems that the vaccine to them poses a, a significant risk without a significant benefit that goes along with it. Um, and so I guess our job or, you know, the job of medical, you know, medical professional scientists, all of us is to push this idea that, you know, as long as the data supports it, that these vaccines are safe. Uh, and they're highly efficacious. Um, and like John was talking about, you know, a lot of it's this unknown of like, okay, well, we don't, we can't exactly say with certainty some of these things like, you know, does the vaccine lower the risk of me transmitting it to someone else if I've been vaccinated? And thankfully, we've got some early data now um, that's starting to show that there is actually a significant, at least statistically significant drop in um, transmission rates from people who are vaccinated, even if they are carrying uh the virus. And I think it has to do with, I, I need to, I wish I, I had the, uh, the source off the top of my head, but I don't, but it, I think it talked about like, you know, the, um, the amount of virus you need to have to inoculate a person and, and that, how that is significantly lowered from person to person when you have, you know, people who are vaccinated or a larger number of people who are vaccinated. But yeah, and I mean, I think part of it is we, you know, unfortunately, I think we've almost developed this relationship with the public that we'd be, we've almost gone from trying to go away from being paternalistic right back into paternalistic medicine where we're telling people, no, do this, stay home, wear your mask. We know better than you. We're smarter than you. And that just is not perceived very well by the public. And I think especially in a country you know, like the United States where so many people have pride in their own ability to, whether, whether they actually have this or not, their ability to discern information and make decisions for themselves, you know, that, that idea of freedom in America is so important that I think we really dropped the ball in that sense too. Of like we've, and I've been making the same mistake as well with people I know and even maybe some of my own messaging is just like, you know, just do it. Um, that doesn't work. It's, I mean, if we've learned anything during this pandemic, it's that that messaging does not work for Americans. Um, so I think we really need to go back to the starting point with, you know, how we are addressing this from a communication standpoint and, you know, really try to create more of a teamwork centered, you know, give people the, the honest information that's there, um, you know, give them, you know, it's like, uh, I, I heard a great thing today. I think it was Z Dog MD made a video about something similar to this. You know, like, you know, people at Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're going to visit their family members, right? So instead of creating this like shame thing, like, you know, you're a terrible person if you want to go visit your family during a, during a pandemic, instead of that saying, okay, if you're going to do it, here are some safer ways that you can do that. And knowing that some people are going to be irresponsible. Some people are going to be, you know, follow the letter of the law and the letter of you know, recommendation and not see anyone. And there's going to be this, you know, certain percentage of people kind of conglomerated in the middle that. Uh, you know, are going to do some some combination. They're, you know, they may see their family, but they're they're open to recommendations of being safer. And I think that's where we that's like that 
big group of people in the middle is where we missed. It's like, okay, people are going to, you know, some people are super risk averse. They're going to stay home. Some people are super irresponsible. They're going to do whatever they want, no matter what we say. And there's that group in the in the middle where we can you know, influence, not, maybe not the ultimate decision to go somewhere, to go to dinner, to do whatever, but we can ultimately, you know, give them, you know, advice of like, okay, well, if I'm going to go out, how can I do it a little bit more safely? And instead of creating like that, you know, it's your fault if other people get sick, should be ashamed of yourself, that sort of thing. We know based on this data from all we've seen this year, at least anecdotally, that this doesn't work. So how do we get the message out there in a way that's, you know, people are receptive to it and we can actually, um, you know, like we talk about all the time is have risk reduction versus risk elimination. There's a, there's never a non-zero risk of anything. So if we can get more people on board with, you know, risk reduction versus like this like right versus wrong scenario, I think we would, we would make a bigger difference and, and have a lot more people on board with this. And I think at the end of the day, what we're here to do as a podcast as well is kind of to provide that information on how to reduce risk. And we're just essentially trying to be um, convincing in our argument and give people the information, arm them so that they can make better decisions. One of the ways we're doing that is with the written content. The other one is statistics. And I think um, I've personally been noticing a lot that statistics are actually more and more important as people don't realize the... Um, magnitude of the issue sometimes. Like for example, with that anxiety post that we recently did about like just what's going on with that. It's kind of eye-opening even to me when I saw the statistic that like, I believe it was what, 62% of Americans said they felt some level of anxiety this year during the pandemic. And whether or not that's due to during a pandemic or any other year, just Seeing that statistic is like, wow, number one, this is a larger problem that maybe we need to do something about. It's not just something that you can sweep under the rug like um, people might have been doing previously with psychiatric illnesses. Number two, if there is someone that might be feeling anxious, like, okay, I'm not alone. There's a lot of other people who are feeling this This is something that um, I'm not alone with. So I can get some sort of... um, like not joy in it, but like, I understand other people going through this. I'm not alone. So I think that's one of the other things with our statistics posts that we're doing in our study Sundays, which is kind of highlighting all that, trying to create better messaging and create um, better conversations around these things so that we can arm people with knowledge instead of just saying, do this, do that. Like you guys have been talking about. So, you know, we always with our guests, you know, I think Rago and I have answered this question ourselves too, but I think maybe we can, we can give an update too of how in the last, you know, how many months our idea of it's changed. But for both of you guys, you know, what does preventive medicine mean to you personally? And, you know, how is, how does that impact your day-to-day, you know, interaction with other people and, and even like your own goals and, and things that you keep in mind for your own health? Uh, Austin, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So I'd say... You know, full disclosure, my views on this have evolved, you know, quite dramatically, I'd say in the past, you know, five or five or so years. So um, kind of just with my exposure through fitness in general, um, originally came at this with the quote, clean eating, um, you know, never doing anything detrimental to your body. And, and, you know, I've done kind of everything from kind of low carb to a little bit of keto kind of uh, sampled and everything. And I used to think, you know, that's that strict way is the way to prevent stuff. Um, and I think the more you kind of read, the more, you know, just, you know, even highlighting back to just this conversation about vaccines where it's not just black and white. It's not like just do this and you're going to be fine. You know, everything's on a spectrum. So I think my current kind of, um, I guess, thought process on preventative medicine is, you know, like many of our guests have kind of echoed is it's not necessarily preventing rather kind of risk, redu- risk reduction and, and, you know, setting yourself up for kind of good things to happen and to, you know, uh, reduce your risk of getting these kind of chronic diseases. So I think 
Um, that's kind of the mindset I have now. That's kind of my mindset when I talk to patients, whether it is about lifestyle stuff, diet, nutrition, but even when it comes to pharmaceutical stuff or medical interventions, um, I like to kind of phrase it as, you know, these are the risks and benefits that we know of. And this is why we would recommend this. But ultimately, kind of what we were just talking about, I think it's it's really dependent on on the patient. You know, they have concerns that are valid concerns. And, and one thing I like to highlight with kind of the statistics, not to go back on that, but um, is just to get people a sense of, you know, this is a common thing. If you have these thoughts, chances are somebody else has very similar thoughts to you or concerns. Um, so I think it's something we can be addressing. So I think, you know, kind of moving forward with my, you know, thoughts on preventative medicine, again, I think doing the things that are highest yield, I think is what we should kind of be focusing on. Um, you know, having, you know, uh, a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, you know, these are the high yield points that will get people the majority of the benefit. Okay. And if they need to have, you know, uh, a cake at a birthday, like to not freak out, it's not the end of the world. You're a human, you know, that factors into your enjoyment of life. So that's kind of the attitude I take, you know, both with myself and then also talking with patients every day is, is we need to find a happy medium. Here are the high yield things that I would focus on, but then being willing to work with them, uh, in terms of what's realistic for their life. Maybe it's a small step for this person um, and that can kind of get them moving in the right direction. I don't know if you're aware, but we also have a lot of content going alongside each episode over on our Instagram page. So if you aren't already following us there, make sure to go do so at Prevent Pod. We have a lot of content relating to each episode, including waveforms, different quotes that you can share with your friends and help us spread the message of preventive medicine. And with that, let's get back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are all great points. I think, you know, and you know better than maybe even, you know, Rago and I have seen it a little bit in third and fourth year doing rotations and seeing patients, but um, you're now in a position kind of in that firsthand role of, you know, uh, treating patients in, you know, in real life and, and seeing the limitations of this, not only the system, but the limitations of, you know, um, our abilities to, to really affect change in, in an area where, you know, you're there's limited time and patients have their own obstacles and, and things in the way and kind of trying to find the best way to get the big hitting things and, you know, step away from that like idea of, you know, they need to be doing all these 8 million things perfectly. You know, the things that we, we perceive ourselves doing well since we spent the last, you know, better, better half of, you know, at least, um, you know, myself and uh, I think Raghav as well, better half of a decade, you know, kind of figuring this out and training and learning and reading, but, you know, trying to get, high hitting points without imposing these, our own idea of what you know they should be at in terms of their perfect health uh, all at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are great points. I, uh, and also so many of, of the uh, people on, that have come on this podcast have had great answers to this question. Um, but for me personally, I think uh, preventive medicine uh, is a way to, uh, and I kind of already talked about this earlier, but I think it's a way to enable people to, uh, live their best possible lives. You know, I, I don't see it. I, I want, when I think of preventive medicine, I think of the like base to allow you to do whatever it is that, uh, you want to do in your life. And, uh, you know, and I think, uh, vaccines, uh, and with the current COVID, you know, uh, everything going on. I think that's a perfect metaphor for this. If so, we've got this vaccine right now, people are stuck at home. They can't maybe necessarily be living the life that they want to live, be doing everything that they want to do because of, you know, restrictions that are put in place. Um, and so like, if we can get this preventive medicine in there, this vaccine, uh, 
we are then enabling these people to go about their lives and to continue doing uh, everything, you know, that they want to do with their life. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, what I, uh, when, yeah, when I've been thinking about my answer to this question, as I've been listening to the podcast, uh, that's what comes to mind. And, you know, practically speaking, what that means for me is, you know, uh, I try to eat vegetables and like, I worry about how many calories I'm eating. Cause you know, I, I want to, uh, live for as long as I can and be able to do the things that I want to do. And, uh, you know, being obese or, uh, not being physically fit kind of hamper uh, my ability to do those things, which, you know, so when, uh, a couple of years ago, I had always wanted to, uh, you know, like run a marathon. And, um, I, I remember this one specific time I, we tried to climb Mount Mitchell in Asheville, North Carolina with my friends and I couldn't do it. I had to, I, I think I got like two miles in, I think it's a seven mile hike. I had to turn around cause I just like physically could not do it. I couldn't be with my friends. And so, yeah, when I think of preventive medicine, it's doing those things that will allow me to you know, climb Mount Mitchell, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah it's, that's an excellent, excellent example. It's almost exactly like my definition. Um, I don't know if you took that from me on the podcast. Something we talked about in our host episode. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of like a realization or like a light bulb moment when people realize that preventive medicine isn't about just becoming healthy. Like the goal is not just to get health. Like it's not something you can attain, but it's that foundation. Like you were saying, John, it's a foundation where you put the rest of your life on top of that so that you can do what you want. So even if it's like for you, let's say it was climbing Mount Mitchell, um, in your twenties, let's say someone wants to be able to pay with their grandkids. They really value family. And that's something that they're really going to want to love to do. Preventive medicine isn't just about maximizing health right now, but trying to be healthy at whatever stage you're at so that you can do what you want to do. So it's climbing Mount Mitchell right now. Let's say you turn 30, 40, you still want to do a marathon. You can run a marathon at that time. Um, and when you get to like 70 or 80, if you have grandkids, you want to run around with them instead of like having like knee replacements or whatnot and just not being able to run or having general fitness to do so. Now you can toss your grandkids around as we always see this grandparents doing. We might have fond memories of the same ourselves. So it's those kinds of things that have really were kind of like the light bulb for me, myself. Um, cause like Jason, when we trained for almost a decade now at the beginning, it's kind of more like you just chased that six pack, you chased becoming healthy and you're like, okay, now what? And then you realize, Oh, there's more to this. It's about doing other things in life while maintaining this. And that's kind of what um, we try to put out in this podcast. And I think a lot of our guests mention that as well, um, whether they do so directly or through their excellent examples and storytelling and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I think for, I kind of I agree with like, everyone's made some good points in terms of preventive medicine. Um, you know, I think, you know, especially like earlier, also was mentioning kind of everything exists on the spectrum. There's no, like not an absolute thing of yes or no. I think, you know, like one thing I, you know, I think maybe it's changed a little bit in terms of my view of preventive medicine, even over the last year is, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a line for everybody in a line kind of, you know, I think it's a subjective line of like, okay, enjoyment of life versus ultimate you know, optimization of life and optimization of health. And I think there's, you know, if someone's, you know, living the quote unquote perfect life, but they're miserable, like, you know, if they live an extra 20 years, what, what value have they gained in, in living 20 more years of a life they don't enjoy living? So I think part of preventive medicine is finding that is helping folks find that balance of like, okay, 
understanding their risks for certain things, uh, reducing the harm as much as we can while keeping them in a way or in the mindset of like, okay, at some point this ride ends for all of us. You know, the, the, the preventive medicine ends at death no matter where we're at. So, you know, having that, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more of a worldview, but at the same time, it kind of gives some perspective of like, hey, you try to enjoy this as much as you can within the within the realm of trying to, you know, at the same time be mostly beneficial and, and preventive for the things that you can and control for the things that you can. Um, but not sacrificing those things like, you know, having a slice of cake with your at your mom's birthday party or, you know, going out for a guy's night, having a couple of beers once in a while, or, you know, and, and it's like those things that we kind of look at as like, okay, like, yeah, everyone's going to do those things. But I think putting a more positive spin on it, like, okay, it's not, you know, if we're just looking at it as a yes and no for your health. Yeah. There's a, probably a lot of things there that are like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do those things. But then you factor in, you know, memories they'll never forget or experiences they wouldn't otherwise have had and enjoyment of the day to day, you know, after, you know, whatever, there's so much they can't, people, you know, we can't control, you know, necessarily, um, you know, but having those things in our control that allow us to enjoy life while getting some, you know, extended life and, and maximizing the life that we do have, I think. And, um, and the last year, I think that's, that's changed my, my worldview a little bit with, with that in the sense of, you know, we've also seen a lot of really kind of bullshit ideas pop up this past year, especially, you know, significantly related to, to preventive health because of COVID. You know, you see these people pop up and saying, you know, you know here's how you boost your immune system and prevent COVID. Here's how you, you know, like, it's like, you know, all of us roll our eyes, but, you know, to the, to the, to the general public, it's easy to, they really get hooked on that and say like, Oh yeah, I don't need the vaccine. I just need this vitamin D and go outside and exercise and I'll be good. But, you know, I think in a way, you know, we've kind of ignored also because obviously, you know, it, when, the, when a pandemic hits, you know, you have to focus on doing what you can to eradicate it and move on. But um, I think it's highlighted some significant areas where we can improve as a civilization in, in terms of our health. And I think, you know, the obesity rates, you know, with obesity being one of the number one risk factors for severe COVID disease, you know, I think we've kind of, downplayed that to a significant extent whereas like yeah in the future it would be you know our our whole population would be safer from things like this if we were healthier to begin with so you know i definitely think there's a conversation to be had around those ideas but i just don't know where it begins and i don't know you know the best way to to, to kind of implement those things but we definitely have seen you know a lot of bad ideas pop up but also a need for more preventive health in the last year yeah that i what you said about uh you know uh, searching for optimism at, uh, yeah, optimization at the expense of, uh, you know, enjoying your life is so important. I, that's, yeah, I, I, I think Alan Flanagan on a podcast recently was talking about, uh, people who, uh, you know, are so into like being as healthy as humanly possible, you know, that they can't, you know, go to the bar with their friends and have a, have a drink, you know, every once in a while, which, you know, that social atmosphere, first of all, is, important, really important to your health. Uh, I, they're, they're also, um, Sigma nutrition, the Alan Flanagan, uh, they recently talked about a study, um, uh, I think Rosetto, Pennsylvania, uh, where, uh, these people were living way longer. Um, it was like an Italian, uh, immigrant, uh, based, uh, city and they were living, you know, however much longer than, uh, a city really close, uh, really close by. And the only thing that they could find that was different between the two cities in terms of risk factors for, uh, you know, longevity, uh, was the social atmosphere. And so they think that it was literally just, these people were you know, more socially cohesive than the town next to them. And, 
yeah, so it's really important that you can be social and can enjoy your life uh, for health, but also, I mean, you should just enjoy your life. I mean, I as much as you can, absolutely, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, I know this is going to be a little bit of a shot in the dark. Jason was talking about um, how he doesn't necessarily know what the best strategy might be for promoting um, just more effective messaging in general. And I don't know myself, but we're going to take a shot in the dark here. And we have two very different perspectives um, from both uh, John and Austin. We want to ask you guys, what do you guys think would be effective strategy? What do you want to see more of from um, health messaging to the general public to try to promote preventive medicine? Is there something you think works better than the other? You just flat out don't know. Let's take a shot in the dark here. Yeah, I can go first on that. So I think um, we've actually seen it a little bit. I think the WHO guidelines, uh, physical activity guidelines, I think implement this uh, to a T is just the idea of meeting people where they're at. And not having these kind of lofty goals where like, if you either do this or don't try. Um, so I think whenever you can talking to people again about the risks and benefits and, you know, even doing small things makes, you know, increases your likelihood that good things are going to happen. So I think, um, cause I think this is what we see honestly in, in the everyday kind of world in the clinic setting and everything. You don't have time to talk to a clinic patient about, here's your, you know, 90 minutes or 120 minutes a week that you need to get in this X, Y, and Z. A lot of times it's just starting somebody like, can you do a five minute walk after every meal this week and see how that goes? You know, and that doesn't sound great to all these kind of fitness people and everything. They're like, that's not enough. But I think realistically that gives people an entry point. Um, so I think taking some of our recommendations and, and making it more manageable so people don't feel guilty about not getting to that lofty goal, right? Everybody has started somewhere. So I think whenever we can, um, I think that's probably the most effective thing. It doesn't look great on a t-shirt or, you know, uh, you know, bragging about it on Twitter that you just did a 10 minute walk. Um, but it's some place to start. Um, and I think if we can normalize that kind of getting an entry level, wherever you're at, um, I think people kind of buy in when they see kind of results and they see other people kind of doing the same thing. So I think that's kind of our avenue kind of from a health perspective and a, in a practitioner perspective. Definitely jumping on there real quick before uh, John goes, I want to say that buy-in is probably the key for me. And as if we can get people to buy in, then it's kind of just like a, a ladder at that point where you see results. That's kind of how I went. I saw my first results. I was like, Oh, this is nice. And then you just keep going. But it's that first little buy. And I think that's the most difficult part because a lot of what we need to do is already out there. The information is pretty much there. Maybe not to like optimize everything peak, but, we already discussed, we don't necessarily need to know, know that. So that buy-in is key for sure. Yeah. For, uh, for me personally, I think, uh, well, I, while I think mes messaging is important, I think, uh, I would really like to see, uh, you know, a better focus, more focus on in the public health arena on, uh, implementing, you know, systemic, uh, societal level, like laws and, uh, these other, you know, actions that, uh, reduce barriers for people to do make the healthy choice. So you, you ideally we would be, uh, kind of having the, we would have, uh, our society set up in a way that the, the healthy choice is the default choice. And so you don't have to, so right now, uh, you know, for millions of people, uh, 
to make the healthy food choice, a lot of people live in what's known as food deserts where they don't have a, a grocery store with, you know, uh, proper produce, uh, near them. And so the, the default easy choice is, you know, the fast food because, uh, also a characteristic of these food deserts is that, you know, they have a higher density of fast food and other, um, you know, poor health choice restaurants, uh, other stores around them. Um, so I, I would like to see, um, more of that things. Um, I, I don't know if I want to, you know, champion any one specific policy, but I, I do like the way that things are going in places like Britain with uh, the sugar tax. Um, it hasn't seemed to really affect consumers at all. It, it, you know, the consumer, uh, probably barely even notices similar to, uh, you know, with the removal of hydrogenated oils from, uh, the food supply, you know, back in the early two thousands, uh, here, here in the U S that happened in the U S, uh, as well as in Europe, uh, the consumer basically doesn't even notice those things. You know, they, uh, just continue going about their daily lives, buying the same stuff that they would normally buy. It's the, the industry that, uh, you know, tweaks the formula. So in the case of the sugar tax, uh, they, I, I think most of them change their formula to have, you know, some artificial sweeteners as well as the sugar to reduce the total amount of sugar in their products. Um, but yeah, things like that, that, uh, kind of make it much easier for, uh, people to make the healthy choice, um, is the way that I would like to see things go in that, in that area. Yeah, I think, um, you know, both of you guys made some great points. And I think really, you know, kind of highlighting the, the nuanced nature of all of this. I mean, there's not one easy route to improving, you know, public health. I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I guess um, I would add to that um, is is in terms of how we, how we talk to the public is when we talk about all the time with an individual physician-patient relationship, how important the buy-in is, right? Which is basically we're talking about the alliance between physician and patient, right? So if we globalize that, if we make it more of a, you know, we take it from one-on-one to, you know, a small number of public health officials talking to a larger number of quote-unquote patients or you know, however you want to define that population, I think um, we need to do a better job of creating an alliance. And I don't necessarily, I don't have the answer to how that works, but um, I think, you know, in terms of something Austin kind of said is, you know, meeting them, meeting them where they're at. And I think part of that is stepping away from a paternalistic, you know, finger pointing, or even, you know, we know what's best for you type of a, a, a mindset and say, okay, what are, you know, let's do a better job of finding out, you know, maybe it's by region or by state or by, you know, you know, groups of, you know, finding out what's important to people from a standpoint of, you know, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Um, and then you can go from there and say, okay, we know it's important to, to people. We know what they believe. We've got a, got a better idea of why they believe what they believe or what resources they're getting their information from. And then go from there in, in the sense of like, hey, I don't just want to tell you you're wrong about all this, but maybe I can find an inch and kind of work my way in. And then we create this alliance of, okay, now the public in at least certain areas at a time will start to trust you know, the messaging from public health experts. And I think that's one of the most disappointing things of where we're at right now and all, and it's, it's been going on for a long time, but I think it's, it's kind of been coming to a head in the, over the past year is the distrust between the general public and physicians and then between the general public and policymakers. So I think, you know, you, when you have a public that at large doesn't trust the physician and doesn't trust the policymakers, 
it puts everyone in a tough bind of, you know, like it just, everyone seems like they're butting heads all the time and no one's making any common ground because it's this, this, you know, like, well, we know we have this data and we just want the public to just, okay, just take this data and do it. But at the same time, like, we don't trust your data. We don't trust you. We don't trust the people making the laws um, just because, you know, you can highlight stories here and there. You can highlight situations where there's corruptness and these sort of things. And people really attach to those things. And it really, um, it really sets us back. So I, I don't know. And again, I don't know. I'm trying to be as non-judgmental and third party view of, of this as possible. You know, it just seems like it's such a nuanced thing that I don't know how we do that, but there's, we need to take some steps in terms of kind of healing this relationship between public health experts and doctors and, and just the public. Yeah, definitely. I think messaging um, on every level, whether it's between the physician and the patient, public health officials um, and elected officials, whether it's whatever seat of office, it's always going to need to be clear and like established in a sense. But one of the reasons I think there's so much distrust is because there's been so many other things that have been said that don't pan out. They're like, oh, this is the cause for this. And then it gets disproven. Physicians are like, at some point, like the case that uh, Dr. Hader talked about in the episode, oh, smoking's like fine, completely okay. Physicians like sponsored it, whatnot. Now we know, obviously, terrible for you. So there's a lot of uh, mistrust there. And I kind of want to parlay that into the next question. We've all had different experiences in life um, of different things that we might have fallen for, um, myth that kind of um, are hard to blow by. And once we get past it, like, oh, there's this is a lot easier than I thought it was. So I want to ask uh, Austin and John, what are kind of some of the biggest myths or like just hurdles you guys have encountered to kind of uh, bettering yourselves or that you think that a lot of people might benefit from knowing that it is a myth? I'd be a little bit more. <laughs> I, I can go first. I, I'm gonna say I can, I can start if you want. A bit, yeah, you know, go ahead, a, go a ahead. couple of easy ones for me. Um, I used to make, make cleaning uh, when I first started doing this whole, you know, starting learning about more about nutrition. I really had a binary view of foods as good or bad. Um, that really, really affected me in terms of, you know, I would just really avoid those foods at all costs because, you know, they were bad. So um, I think that was, you know, that's one of the things that I've. I've changed greatly over the past decades and decade or more since I started learning about this stuff. You know, other smaller ones, you know, anabolic window. There's a there's a perfect number of sets and reps. Um, cardio is bad for lifting. You're going to get weak if you do cardio. Um, it's just like all those, you know, kind of the things that you know. I think people, you know, we looked. It almost seems like people look out on these people who espouse these views, and it's like a lot of times, like I have a hard time doing that. I'm like, I used to believe that. So how do I, tell, you know, help this person? You let them know they're wrong, but knowing that I used to believe in you know, all these things that they're espousing. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I think we're all uh, subject to misbelief and misinformation at times. Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones for me personally was um, supplements. So I was a huge supplement junkie because you see all these people on social media like you take this and you will lose weight so much faster. So I'm like, OK, I have to get myself on that and I lose weight. And I did. But it's also because I was working like I was working out and obviously I was going to lose weight if I was working out. So then when you go off it, you're like, OK, I'm not going to lose weight anymore. And then it's kind of like that um, self reinforcing thought where I'm not going to lose weight. So I'm not going to work as hard, blah, blah, blah. And it just keeps going on. So breaking free from the supplement chain that you don't really need anything if you're just trying to get healthier. Um, maybe if you can supplement some whey protein, creatine, if you're trying to get strong and whatnot is great. But aside from that, you don't really need anything. Yeah, I think both of those are great points. And uh, I personally think I avoided a lot of these myths uh, because of how I came into, you know, the fitness preventive health arena. You know, I was already a med student and uh, I really got into it through barbell medicine and those guys do a great job of, uh, you know, combating myths and kind of 
having a data driven, um, you know, view on just about everything, um, that they talk about. Uh, and, um, that said, I think probably the most important myth that I think needs, you know, that I would like for as many people to know as possible is, uh, that it's not true is that, uh, pain has a, uh, one-to-one relationship with tissue damage. And that, uh, if you're experiencing pain, it means that, you know, there's something horrible going on, uh, in, you know, that site where there's pain. Um, and yeah, just knowing that, uh, pain doesn't necessarily mean, uh, that, there, it, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a huge issue. It doesn't, it, you can work through it and experience pain and not be damaging anything, uh, more, um, yeah. Pain is complex. Actually, pain, pain is yeah, a pain whole, is uh, whole world of very nuanced, like each, each individual thing you take apart with pain has its own subset of nuance and discussions and data. And it's, yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Of like uh, just getting away from that view of like, Oh, my, my knee hurts. Something is definitely wrong and the tissue is damaged. I need to go get an MRI or x-ray, so you, you know, and that sort of thing. So like moving away from those, you know, that idea of pain equals tissue damage. I think, I think that's what you were kind of alluding to, right? Yeah. I was kind of stumbling through my words there, but yeah, the basic idea I definitely want people to know that there, you know, there's not this one-to-one relationship between pain and injury and that, uh, you know, uh, everybody's going to experience pain throughout their life. It's a completely normal human experience and it doesn't necessarily mean anything, you know, horribly wrong is happening. Um, yeah. I think personally, I'd probably echo everything you guys have said. I've fallen for, or at least to believe one of those things, kind of everything you guys have said. But I think the biggest thing for me is just a learning point has been how important the psychologic and and social factors are in really everything. Um, even for some stuff, like we were just saying for pain, which seems very straightforward, like you have injury, this is how it works. Um, but I think the more you kind of delve into whether it is pain or, um, medication effects or surgeries or really anything where humans are involved, the psychological kind of components, um, can be equally, if not more important and stuff to address. So I think, um, kind of reframing my personal mindset, you know, I came into it like, you know, just kind of fight through it and be mentally tough or whatever. And um, more focus on the physical stuff. I think now knowing that, you know, psychological stuff is, is very important and it can have very real physical symptoms. And it's just as important. And I hope that kind of the one takeaway would be uh, for people is that, you know, just because it's quote unquote psychological doesn't make it not real or important. You know, your, your brain is, is kind of gear uh, driving a lot of things and it's important to talk about and kind of normalize that people have these different psychological makeups. And that's just another, you know, string we can pull or, or adjust or, or help with to kind of overall make them kind of more well overall. So I think just piloting that psycho, that psychosocial kind of component really across the board in a lot of different areas has been a kind of a, a growing point uh, for me.
Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same. And kind of like John said, I think, you know, and I, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, you know, I think in a lot of ways we're standing on the shoulders of giants in the way of barbell medicine and the things that they've done. Um, you know, I find, I, honestly, I think I'm lucky that, you know, I ended up, you know, stumbling upon them and you know, I ended up often from barbell medicine became a big mentor for me all throughout medical school. But like, there's so many things that I like looking back and even like when I started medical school, like, all these silly beliefs I had about, you know, whether it's pain or whether it's, you know, public health or all these different things that, you know, just being aligned with people who know more than I do and being willing to listen and being willing, willing to change my opinion on things has made a huge difference. So I think, you know, one of those things that I kind of, that stands out to me is like that, you know, I think one of the best things that you, you can, I guess, attain or, or uh, figure out as a person learning things is who to trust and figuring out, you know, how to discern like the, this person is someone I can, I should be listening to, or this person is someone who I should not be listening to. Um, because I feel like that's, you know, you look at, I look at people that I used to follow and think of like, all oh, these people are so smart and they know what they're doing. And then, <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, a few years pass and you look back and it's like, man, it's like it's, these people just, they're, they're sending the wrong message. And now you're like, you're like, so yeah, I think, you know, being able to find that, I guess, bullshit radar and, and being able to, you know, discern evidence for yourself, which everyone has different levels of what they can do, to be honest. I mean, like, I think anyone can sit and read a paper, but I, you know, like I personally, I do it because I know it's like, you know, I'm in a field where I should be doing it, but I hate reading scientific papers. I hate it. So, you know, I, I much prefer someone to do like, like John's done in the past couple of months, these two articles, like take a bunch of data, boil it down, give me the, the relevant citations and tell me what the data is saying. You know, being able to trust people who are writing those things and, and or making YouTube videos or whatever. So finding the right people, you know, like the Greg Nuckles of the world and, uh, you know, people who like are so have this gift of like just really boiling down um, and interpreting data and putting it in a way that, you know, people like me can take it and read it and understand it better. I think um, it's so important. Definitely. Speaking of standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, Jason, we talked a bit about um, where we see this podcast going in the future. And uh, we've talked a little bit um, on the phone about where what we want to do heading to residency. So you want to get our listeners up to speed with what the plan is kind of? Yeah, I think, you know, the last few months have been, uh, at least on, on my end, I've, I was in a sub-internship month last month for those people at home who aren't in medicine. Sub-internship is basically like your your uh, prequel into intern year. So you're a med student, but you're, you're handling a certain number of patients with more autonomy and uh, more responsibility. So my last month was incredibly busy and kind of shifted my mindset and or at least made me better understand the, the um, obstacles that lie in our way for the next year. We'll have three of our four members will be residents at that point, And two of us will be interns. Um, I think showed me that the, the, there's a, a lot more work, uh, Head than maybe I previously understood with what we need to do with the podcast. But hopefully, you know, in that sense, what we'll be doing is, you know, recording episodes when we can and coordinating our schedules to the best of our abilities and trying to plan for ahead for, you know, knowing those months are coming where there's not going to be a lot of time to, you know, work on the podcast. So we're taking advantage of those months that we have. And um, I think all four of us will be at different points at different times. And, you know, I think, you know, having that ability to shift some of the load back and forth and, um, you know, uh, kind of come together and, and keep, keep this podcast rolling forward. Cause I do think, you know, like, to me, ultimately I'd like this podcast to continue to grow and, um, reach more people. And, uh, but I think there are some very real obstacles we've realized over the past couple months that we are now starting to address. But yeah, hopefully over the next, the next year or so, we're able to keep rolling out episodes and getting more guests, you know, super smart people on the podcast and, you know, hopefully getting that message out there. 
And to be completely frank, one of the other things that Jason and I discussed previously was when we were trying to grow, we uh, were trying to get guests that also had some sort of leverage. So um, that would kind of help us grow. But when discussing, we realized when we first started this podcast, we wanted to be the platform for preventive medicine and give others a voice for what their thoughts are on preventive medicine. So we realized that just by going to these people who already have very large voices, we're not necessarily performing our mission statement, quote unquote, um, to the best of our ability. So we're kind of expanding our reach to try to find more people that are really passionate about preventive medicine, but don't have a hundred thousand uh, Instagram followers. Maybe there's someone with like, 500 followers, a thousand followers. It doesn't matter. We're just trying to find anyone who's trying to make an impact in preventive medicine has something to say, has something evidence-based to say, make sure they have evidence yeah, behind I, whatever I, they're to saying. To me, that's one of the biggest get that out there. is that, you know, I think in a lot of, if we're building ourselves as a platform of, you know, preventive medicine is really being stewards of, you know, making sure whoever we have on this podcast is uh, evidence-based in a sense of, you know, at least, you know, we can all come to the conclusion of we would listen to them and say, okay, um, you know, this is a responsible person to have, you know, however many listeners we have take their message and hear it because there's a lot of people under that preventive medicine or preventive health banner who, you know, would maybe help us grow, but we don't really necessarily want that message, you know, associated with us or, or if we are, you know, positioning ourselves as gatekeepers of evidence-based lifestyle recommendations to make sure we're, you know, all on the same page for that as well. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly important. Uh, you know, especially to me, I, uh, my, uh, sister actually has, uh, had a lot of these issues. You know, I said, I kind of found barbell medicine and they kind of guided me. Um, but, uh, my sister has really struggled with, you know, knowing what outlets are actually telling her the truth because, you know, so many of them are contradictory and, you know, say one thing and then the other one says, you know, that's wrong. You're, you're a terrible person. Why would you say that? You know, and the battle, um, and being a source of evidence-based medicine for, uh, you know, people to, to come and, uh, uh, listen and get the correct information as well as, you know, uh, novel, innovative, you know, whatever, uh, information that they can get, I think is, uh, you know, maybe one of the most important things. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. Um, we're going to give you guys the coffee shop experience. So I'm sure you guys know the end of our podcast. We have our coffee shop question, which is you're at Starbucks, you're waiting for a coffee. Someone comes up to you. Let's say the podcast is at a hundred thousand followers. Do you have like 20,000? They're like, Hey, John, Austin, I know you guys. How do I get healthy? What do you tell them in that two minutes that you have? You can start off with Austin. Yeah, sure. I think I'd probably have just three simple takeaways and it kind of echoes back to just focus on high yield points. I'd say, um, if you want to do something to, in general, again, hard to generalize, but in general to be kind of healthier and, and improve overall quote health, if you could define that would be, um, sleep as much as you can, um, eat more fruits and vegetables and find something that's meaningful, a meaningful way to move that you enjoy and can do on a daily or, or a weekly basis. I think those are kind of, um, those three high yield, three high yield points, um, and then maybe add on, uh, find some friends or family you like to be around and, and have good social interactions. I think those four things are kind of your biggest bang for your buck if you were to summarize it for me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with those things. Um, I would say, uh, uh, 
I would say, you know, try to move more, uh, try to eat your fruits and vegetables, try to, uh, I think incredibly important is, uh, maintain, uh, social relationships, maintain, uh, find, you know, uh, a few friends. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be the most popular person ever, but find a few friends that, uh, you know, you really have a strong intimate relationship with and, uh, feed those relationships, uh, regularly. Um, don't kind of, you know, let them go by the wayside. Uh, and, uh, uh, I think my last thing would probably be, you know, uh, avoid tobacco and, and alcohol as, as much as you can. Um, I think those are probably the highest. Yeah, I think those are- also, of course, get, get your vaccines, you know, that's, uh, see your doctor, make sure you're doing all those screening and vaccine things. Yeah, I think those are great answers. I think, you know, I like that both of you guys highlighted the importance of socialization. I think that's, you know, like I meant to bring it up earlier, but you look at like, I know you guys have all probably heard of like the blue zones and like seen the data on these different parts of the world where people live to like they have a ton of cent- uh, centurions or whatever, people who live past 100. And the one thing they all have in common is strong community. So I think that social aspect of life is something that often gets neglected with medicine. And I think that you guys both hit it on the head and like that's an important two minute thing to keep in mind of like yeah eat your fruits and vegetables and your lean proteins and exercise and avoid smoking and alcohol but find friends and family that you like spending time with find hobbies find things that may enrich your life you know don't, don't just live with the idea of health in mind but you know live a life that's full definitely all right well thank you two for coming on we'll have their socials uh in the show notes so you can just scroll on over click it It'll take to the profile give them a follow um we're incredibly excited for all their contributions to the podcast and helping us continue to grow and put out the message of preventive medicine um if you haven't already read the articles that john has put out they're absolutely incredible um i'm gonna be uploading the second one right now so it's gonna be up he'll have two up and then statistics and study sunday post by austin make sure you go check those out um really nicely um like put together that put together a compelling message so thank you to you once again thank you for coming on today and uh yeah yeah thank you guys yeah thanks guys hey everyone this is raghav we hope you enjoyed this episode of the preventive medicine podcast if you want more content and to join in on the conversation find us on youtube twitter and instagram at prevent pod that's p-r-e-v-e-n-t-p-o-d Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one.